Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for listening to the sex ed of Black folk. I am Dr. Tracy Gilbert and I am your host for today. I have the enormous pleasure of having my first podcast interview with one of my favorite people on the planet, quite frankly. Um, I... There's just no words. There are just no words. Um, a lot of you may already know this person. If you don't, you're about to find out. You need to get to know this person. I am talking about none other than Erica Hart. Um, Erica Hart is, like to say an educator is just such a small part of who they are. Um, they're a force. They are a dynamo. Um, just reading a little bit from their bio, they are a kinky poly activist and sexuality educator. They are trained like myself. They have a degree, a master's degree in human sexuality. They've taught sex education from the babies down from the young folks all the way up to practitioners. They've served as a Peace Corps volunteer and they're, the biggest part of their story that lots of folks know is that in May of 2014, they were diagnosed with bilateral breast cancer, and they realized that neither their identity as a queer Black femme nor um, their sex life as a survivor was being featured prominently in the treatment. They decided to do something about it. And so one year at this festival, they basically went out topless and shocked the world to let folks know that Black Femmes are here and that they do have experiences and they do have lives that matter and that their voices need to be heard, particularly not only in breast cancer discussions and that discourse, but in sexuality at large. And so um, what I love most about them, I could go on and on and on, but I'm real quick, what I love most about them is just the ways that... Um, they teach me as somebody who studies anti-Blackness, who studies race, they teach me about stuff that I haven't even thought about um, as it relates to uh, sexuality and race and all of those things. And so as a first episode, obviously, if I wasn't going to interview myself, I, the, after interviewing myself, the next person I'm going to interview is this person. So without further ado, I want to invite Erica Hart to please join me in conversation. Thank you so much for being with me, Erica. Thank you, Tracy. That is just so tender. I really, really appreciate it. I'm like, who no are problem. you talking about? Yes. <laughs> no problem. I just, um, you know, there's just people, it, there's lots of amazing people in our field, but then there are just people that, you know, hold a special place in your heart. And I just remember, um, I just remember first experiencing you through our uh, mutual sibling, uh, Lena Queen, who does Womanism Sacred Sister Circle. Yes. And um, I just remember being like, yo, this person is so dope. And then just to follow you and continue to be in conversation and then to become friends, it just really yes. um, touches my heart to be able to know someone like you so personally and to be so inspired and just 
just intellectually, emotionally, in all the ways, just inspired by you. So thank you. I I, and say. you know, I feel the same about you. <laughs> yes. The, the, you know, the feeling is very, very mutual. It's thank that, you. Thank you. You know, you are so brilliant and I'm so honored to be a guest on your podcast. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Um, so we're going to jump right in. I want you, I had a chance to kind of break down for the folks, your, um, your, your professional background, but you know, this is a space that is very much centered on the Black experience. So I'd love to have you share a little bit more about you. Uh, you know, where are you from? Where are your people from? Where you at now? And what, what's, what's on your mind these days as it relates to sexuality? Oh, okay. So my people are from um, East and West side of Baltimore. Um, my mom is from the East side. I actually asked my dad the other day, my, my mom is deceased. And I asked my dad the other day, I said, what part of Baltimore are you from? Because I forgot, like I don't, <laughs> I never lived in Baltimore. So I, oh, actually I did live in Baltimore. And even when I did live in Baltimore, it was still confusing what was the East and what was the West side. Um, and he was like, I'm from the West baby, but all the, all my girlfriends are from the East. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like, you know, your mother is from the East side. I'm like, I, I didn't necessarily understand that, but now I do. And I will never forget it. Um, and then they are from, I mean, my, like, I would say as far back as I know, North and South Carolina, like my dad and my mom actually went to, um, North and South Carolina in the summers when they were teenagers. So it's interesting that they never met um, when they were much younger because their their backgrounds, their lives seem to intersect in a lot of ways. My great grandmother left Baltimore um, intentionally to get baptized in a river in South Carolina. So there is very, very like roots are hard in South Carolina, but also a lot of displacement um, with a lot of death of a lot of matriarchs in my family lineage. So that, I don't know, I don't know what it's about, like masculine folks carrying legacy and carrying history and making sure people stay together. But I'm seeing a trend, especially in my family, that that doesn't necessarily happen, that it kind of falls on uh, the femme to do all that labor. I guess it's just more labor, right? I don't mm -hmm. know why, I'm not confused by that. Um, but yeah, that's where my people are from. My dad also moved to Puerto Rico when I was 13. Um, so I went to high school in Puerto Rico. I have two half siblings that I don't ever say half, but just for the sake of information, that's what they are, mm -hmm. um, who are in Puerto Rico, who are Puerto Rican and black. So when I go home, I go to Puerto Rico because that is what I have known for the past t almost over 20 years, actually. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that feels like where, it's not where my ancestors are, but in the, you know, reading more about Black history of Puerto Rico, which has been so um, intentionally erased, I have had more of a connection to Puerto Rico beyond just the connection I feel when I'm at the ocean. Yeah. Um, I feel like an actual place in Puerto Rico with the, not just the time that I've been there, but also like my ancestors have also been here. Yeah. Um, you said, where am I? Where am I? I'm in Brooklyn. Yes. I have been in New York City, Queens, Manhattan, but Brooklyn for the past seven years. And I've been in New York for almost 11 years. Um, it feels like, it feels like a lifetime, but honestly, it, it uh, sometimes I'm like, I'm still learning. Like, I don't know where things are. I don't, I still need to use Google maps to get places. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. um, but this is home. Like, I don't, 
you know, my partner and I, we talk about leaving and that's, that's like a common thing for folks who live in New York is like, should I leave? You know, especially when it's the winter time around now. It's like, should I leave? Should I, should I stay? Should I go? And then when it gets warm, you're like, I love it here. This is great. It's a fantastic place. Um, and then the cycle continues. And I've been doing that for about 11 years. So I don't think I'm leaving anytime soon. Um, <laughs> my friends are here. I hope to create family here. Um, but yeah, that's where I am. And then what's been on my mind, it's interesting because I have been in COVID. I have... I feel like at the top of March, I was so freaked out and concerned about how I was going to bring in money, how I was going to manage, you know, and survive as a freelancer. And then when business fortunately picked up and things were going okay, I was like, this is great because a lot of my, you know, I would say sense of self oftentimes due to slavery and capitalism is built into work. So if I'm working, I'm great. Like, yes, there's a pandemic going on. Yes, shit is horrible. And I'm, I'm okay mentally, um, mentally and emotionally, sort of. And then I started to notice that as work started to like kind of come to a close because we're coming to the end of the year, I am nonstop shopping. Like mm -hmm. I can't not stop. I like every and instagram has become a mall like every time you sign on there's like do you want to add this to your cart do you want to do that do you, what do you want to do and the other day eb that's my partner he was like you know you for every one item i have you have 10. i don't understand what the problem is here <laughs> i just feel like you're trying to fight me or something right. i don't i don't like it but I started to listen to what he was saying. He's like, you know, I feel like you are shopping for some other reason. Mm. And over the past two years, I have gained, uh, I would say a significant amount of weight. Mm -hmm. And I'm noticing that when I'm shopping, I am trying to fit myself into whatever the model is, whatever mm. is showing up, whatever, whatever it is. This like, I'm trying to fit my body into how they look. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, let me buy those clothes so I can match how I feel I look in my brain, mm -hmm. but also let me buy some things to make myself feel good. Yeah. And capitalism plays into this too, because it's like, I've been working so hard, I should be able to buy things for myself, mm -hmm. right? And if I'm able to buy things for myself, then I don't have to think about you know, the mourning that I have over a previous or former body, oh, right? Yeah. I have to actually deal with that. And I think, you know, in sexuality spaces, we don't talk about, I don't think we talk about um, fat phobia or body image or, you know, body dysphoria often enough. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that has been something that has been heavy on my heart. It's like, I'm in this changing body, I'm getting older and all I want to do is shop to like not even deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm justified in it due to capitalism because capitalism says if you work hard, you can buy a lot of shit. You can have a lot of stuff. Right. 
I just feel like it's all a cycle of capitalism, right? There's yeah. a capitalism and then capitalism is very much informed by fat phobia. So, you know, have this outfit so you can feel how you did five years ago. Okay, yeah. I'm going to buy the outfit. Yeah. And you, you're able to buy this outfit because you've worked so hard this year and you've done, and it's all a lie, right? Yeah. It's made up. Yeah. Like the fact that I've worked hard this year, like all of that is bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that is what I am I feel like sorting out. Yeah. uh, And this is the time to do it because we're all, well, most of us who are doing what we're supposed to be doing are inside. Hello. Hello. I'm reflecting that too. I'm, I don't, I don't think that, I don't know that that's a sexuality thing per se, but I'm dealing with like, there are so many people who are in the street, like traveling and doing their thing. And I want to do that too. Like straight up. Like what's resonant for me and what you said is this idea of, cause, cause I, I can, I definitely relate to the idea of like shopping more and like, where am I going with these clothes? Like, where am I going? What am I doing? But I just feel this need. And for me, I recognize it's about feeling connected and still feeling that I'm a part of the universe and I'm part of the world that's going on, you know, so, and being part of a capitalist society means you're buying, you're consuming. And so, um, I definitely think that relates to sex because especially for a lot of us who are living alone, who, you know, may not have a partner or maybe with someone who's not their partner anymore or someone, you know, or for a variety of reasons and wanting to feel connected such that you would risk your life, other people's lives to go fulfill whatever that need is internally to just feel like you're part of the world and feel like you're not being left out or feel like you're not alone. And I think sex does go into that as well. Um, So, yeah. Like that response, like Mm -hmm. nothing is, nothing is ever in our control, but literally nothing is in our control. That's right. (laughs) And if I go and I click add to cart and then I purchase it and then it comes, that was, that was in my Empowering. control. <laughs> that feels great. It's like I'm here. It. Yes. I'm here. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Oh. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you, you said a bunch of things that I think are a perfect segue into talking about your work. Um, Mm -hmm. You talked about fat phobia, you talked about capitalism, you talked about slavery and, and, and particularly the ways that black femme bodies are affected by those systems and structures. And so I'm, uh, my, the question that I gave you in advance was what is your sex ed superpower? Um, And connected to that, I want to ask who you do this work for. And I'm thinking about when I taught in undergrad uh, gender women's studies classes, I shared your speech from the Women's March. Oh, the, the awesome speech where you just simply ask the question of who is this for? And it's such a simple question, but for me, it's so profound. And it was profound to me because I think in a capitalist society, you often are not challenged with that question. You're just challenged yeah. to produce. Yeah. And so having that question in my mind is very sobering to think about, wait a minute, who am I doing this for? When I'm conscious about that, then that tailors and shifts my work and shifts what I do in a way that is much more powerful to me and allows me to really get into my element. But outside of that, I just really, really share with, with the folks what you feel like your superpower is and, and who is that superpower for? And if you want to even get into why, um, please do. I would say my superpower is telling the truth. Um, I think- Come on. Yeah, I really want to, I've always been propelled to truth tell. 
And, and sometimes that is a function of me being a Sagittarius and other, it's just me being frustrated with silence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, our ancestor, Audrey Lord says, your silence will not protect you like that. I feel that we, as a society, and especially in the, you know, as it relates to sex and sexuality are very much like, oh yes, it will. Silence will definitely protect us. And mm-hmm. we be quiet about it these children will be fine and they will grow up and be married and have a picket fence. And it's just, it's just not the case, right? It's just so far from the truth. Um, and on my work, and I would say with that, like my work is for black people, my, and, and specifically for black films, black trans films. I've always in, even in referencing the women's March speech, I was so angry when I see that speech. And when I wrote that, Um, And I find that that's the best work that I have is when I'm angry Um, because I kept seeing so much of, you know, Women's March and this is going to be the Million Women's March. I mean, that's what they named it originally. And then they changed the name. Um, And I was like, why is a white group literally co-opting what Black people did in the 90s? Like, that is ridiculous. Um, And no one was talking about it. Like, I feel like I was like the only person that was like this don't make no sense. And I, I feel like that is always me. Like I'm always kind of alone in questioning why something is the way it is while everybody is excited. So, mm-hmm. you know, they call me a killjoy, whatever, but <laughs> I, just, I, I like to say that it's truth telling, but I'm fine with killing the joy as well. Yeah. But there is this, that question for me always is who is this for? I'm always asking that. I'm always asking that of myself as well uh, to make sure that I am, if I'm leading a racial and social justice workshop or if I'm leading a sex ed workshop, that black femmes are centered because we never are, Mm -hmm. you know? Like we are always forgotten. We are always the one chapter. We are always the one paragraph in the chapter about Mm -hmm. black history, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, (laughs) it's not a whole, uh, thesis necessarily and I just feel like we deserve so much more yes you know always yes. and we don't get it and that's not just in academia that's that's in life you know that's, <laughs> that's that's with my you know black femme family you know that has gone not forgotten but a lot of it has like I said earlier like they you know the masked people in my family have not really carried that legacy like the fems did you know they, yeah. they weren't they're not necessarily truth telling and storytelling about our family. Yeah. You know, they are quiet and uh, self-centered. I'm not saying that in with charge, I'm saying that just with like, this is what it is. Like just right. very, like they are very about themselves. Um, and I just feel like black femmes give so much, we have to continue to give back to us, you yeah. know? And I think, I think with saying that, I think I've never really said this, is that the work is for me, you know? Like I, you know, I think sometimes Ebony has to remind me often, like you do this work, but that doesn't mean that you are not impacted by it. You know, like it's it's one thing to lead a workshop about something and be impacted by the content. And it is quite another one to actually be impacted by the content outside of the workshop before. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I, I sometimes will get confused where I'm like, wait a minute, I know all these things. I know all these concepts. I know misogynoir. I know intersectionality. I know anti-Black racism. What the fuck is that? Ha- it's like, it's happening to you, boo. Mm-hmm. Like you are not separate from it. Like yeah. it's never gonna stop. So I have to say that 
yeah, there's a, there's a part of me that does this work for me. Yeah. Um, for a 13 year old me for a soon to be 35 year old me, like, uh, you know, uh, yes. just to, to heal some of the wounds that I, that I continue to carry. Yes. I've just struck, as you said that in the moment of thinking of my own journey and often I, I ask the question, um, that, you know, why do I, uh, sometimes I ask myself, cause I I'm imposing other, what I presume to be other people's insecurities to say, mm-hmm. why are you always talking about race? And my gut reaction is always, if I don't, you won't. Yeah. And the other pieces, I do it because that is my, that is my experience, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, no one can tell that story, but me, because this is the experience that I have. And so yeah you know, and, and there's, there's no right or wrong about that. It just is what it is. And it's in the centering of ourselves that we do the work of, of helping free others and helping to create a society that's more, you know, for lack of a better word, inclusive and where people feel, you know, part of it. And they feel like their stories are being heard and they feel like they're getting what they need to continue to progress. So yeah, definitely can resonate with that. Absolutely. So in line with that, I want to ask you just a little bit to, to put your, to, to come on back in the room, the educator, uh, with the educator cap and just enlighten people a little bit more about the relation, what, what you were saying about fat phobia and about how that relates to sexuality of black femmes. And for the folks who may not fully understand that, because I think there's a lot of us, particularly black fat femmes who are living these experiences, but don't necessarily have the language. So if you could share just a little bit of your understanding of kind of how that has informed our trajectory in this country and just period. Yeah, I mean, I think just on the very basic level, is that when people think sex ed, they think obviously sex, right? They think the act of sex. Um, but sex ed is way more overarching than that. Um, and it includes, you know, how you relate to your body, how others relate to your body, um, how the world relates to your body. And an aspect of that um, could be talking about gender, but also could be talking about fat phobia. Um, or body dysphoria, or sometimes it's called body image. Um, I feel like I've, we've, some of us have moved away from um, body image because it, it's very apolitical, meaning that it doesn't, it's really just, hey, just love yourself. And just, you know, just, if you just look in the mirror 10 times a day and you'll love yourself. And if you speak affirmations and put a little post-it that you read every morning, you'll be good. And, and that is, it's, it's so much deeper than that when we live in a society that constantly perpetuates a particular body, constantly tells us that we need to, you know, buy this to look better, um, uh, says that, you know, lighter skinned people are more attractive, says that um, thin people are more attractive and that uh, an hourglass shape is better and that a big ass is better and that big breast is better and that a tight tummy is better but anything outside of that is horrible. So when I'm talking about fat phobia and capitalism coming together, it is very much so how it is. Um, A lot of our thoughts about fat phobia, fatness being bad or not healthy are all inherited. None of these thoughts are, we're not born with it, right? We're not born thinking that we were taught that. Um, And a lot of it was taught through capitalism, through you know, even buying diet pills or exercise tools or things like that. I remember my mom 
when I was younger, had a stepmaster, had a uh, treadmill, had the thing that like opens your <laughs> yes, thighs. I was thinking my mom yes. had one of those. The thigh thing. master. The thigh master, yeah. <laughs> had all of those things. Like all of that is to continue to buy and to buy and to buy. So you continue, you know, forwarding capitalism, right? So, mm-hmm. and it plays on this idea that your body sucks and that you need to fix your body. So you can fix your body by buying this thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's the, hopefully that helps with more. Yeah, no, I think it has. Mm-hmm. And um, it actually makes me think of, I, and I really hope that you would you would share light on that too, because I think it makes me think of research that, I remember reading and hearing about in my academic days. So for the folks who are not aware, my background is in, in sexualities and human development studies. So, you know, I, and, and my focus was on adolescence. And so when you looked at the research, particularly around uh, topics like self-esteem, self-image, there was all this research and the, the going research was that, oh, well, Black girls don't have self-esteem issues. You know, they don't have those problems. And yeah. And one of the things I realized was that it's very different when you come to your life with an inherent sense of self, uh, low self-esteem versus when you come to it wanting to believe in yourself, knowing that you're worthy, but you continually have a society that tells you that you don't. And yeah. I think that was often the story of Black femmes that I feel like wasn't being captured in the research. It's like- yeah. I love who I am, you know, and I think a lot of folks listening to this episode love who they are. You know, they've never felt like they weren't enough. They just had to continue with the society that continued to tell them, but you're not though. Yeah. We don't think you are though. And, yeah. and you know, you know what they say, you get told that enough times that you start to think, well, maybe it is me. Am I, what's wrong yeah. with me? And, yeah. and I think um, particularly in our community, I think, there's these assumptions, especially around fat that, oh, you know, we love big women. And it's like, ah, uh, to a point, right? We love thickness to yeah. a point, right? And I think, you know, there's there's those, these missing pieces that don't get teased out to say, well, how much, even for us, is capitalism affecting how we see the beauty within our own communities and how we um, delude ourselves into believing that we love everyone in our community when perhaps we don't, so. And sometimes I think too, that it's like, yes to everything you said. And what I see is like, well, I love, you know, my, my fat family members and they like do their thing and I love that. But you notice that there's a different type of policing around a black fat femme yes. than there is around a thin fat femme. You know what I mean? Not a thin fat femme, a thin femme. You know, yeah. like <laughs> there is a there's a stark difference on how you relate to what they're wearing. Oh uh, yeah, what they talk about you know like you know how they present themselves with whoever they're attracted to, like. There's a very, di- and, then, and then there's versus someone that is thin or hourglass or something. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the I think slim sometimes thick. people are like, but I don't, right, slim thick, right? I don't bully them, but it's like, well, what are you thinking and what have you said to police their body? Oh, right? yeah. To police their autonomy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking um, you, when you said that, I, I have a cousin that popped in my head mm-hmm. who, like, I've never like not since I was in high school did I have I thought about my weight it's like oh my god I'm so fat blah 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 
but I still have this cousin who, no matter how much I've achieved, no matter how much I've accomplished, no matter how happy I am, I come to him every, when I visit him, he's like, oh, my fat cousin, my da 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 And I'm like, first off, compared to size in our community, I'm like, yeah. I'm really quite average. But yeah. even on top of that, even if I wasn't, like the fact that that's the thing you would hone in on, I'm just so intrigued by that. Yep. So yep. very intrigued. Yep. So hear everything you're saying. Um, so I appreciate you bringing up those pieces. I also want to have you talk a little bit, if you would, around gender, because I know that's something that you and my mind are, are very much a thought leader about, really helping to break down concepts in a way that can really be useful, not just to society at large, but specifically to Black folks. So can you t- share a little bit about your thoughts on gender? I know that's kind of like a very... <laughs> cloudy your, your thoughts on gender. <laughs> but just a little bit about how you approach teaching about gender and helping people understand gender um, particularly as it relates to race and blackness and, and racialized experiences yeah um, um when we're thinking about gender oftentimes what i was seeing and what i continue to see is this focus on white women literally i feel like gender for a lot of people just equals women. Like it it doesn't include men, it doesn't include trans people, it doesn't include non-binary people, it's just women. Gender issues, even in, you know, women and gender studies, like even universities play into that. So when I'm talking about gender and the work that I do around gender is intentionally calling out colonization and its impact in enforcing a gender binary, something that, is very much unfamiliar to our indigenous African ancestors, to indigenous Americans, to to everyone, right? It is a institution of colonizers. It's what they did to control people's bodies. It wasn't just that there was murder, but also that folks were being very much like, you need to act like this if you want to be a part of society. You need to wear a button-up shirt and you need to cut your hair short, no jewelry in your face or your ears. If you're a woman, you cannot wear pants. You need to wear dresses and they need to come below your knees. Your hair needs to be long. Uh, You probably need to put a little makeup on. You know, like all of the things that you perhaps think is normal today were are very much inherited thoughts about gender. This idea that women are emotional and men are, what do people say? Men are from Mars and women are from Venus or some <laughs> nonsense. All of that is inherited binary talk. Like I see people being like, well, he's so emotional. I'm so you know glad that he cried and then he opened up That's also an aspect of the gender binary. Mm -hmm. This idea that cisgender, cis being the gender that you are assigned at birth, you agree with it in terms of how you see your gender. You agree with what the doctor said. And doctors shouldn't be assigning gender at birth. They should be Mm -hmm. talking about what your genitals are. And maybe they shouldn't, right? There's also argument that they shouldn't, but what they do is that they see a penis and they say it's a boy and if they see a vulva they say it's a girl right so they're assigning gender mm-hmm. they're not like it's a female or it's a male like it is very much boy or girl um so if you agree with that assignment at birth that means that you are cisgender so when talking about cisgender men and people are like oh my god they're so emotional that's so great 
that is something that society has kept cisgender men from being. Um, and it's not something that comes innate or natural. Everybody has tear ducts. Everyone is able to cry. Everyone is able to emote. Their gender does not prevent them from that. So talking about that, but then also talking about in a racialized sense, how Black Fems have been regarded much different than white cisgender women. So this idea that women are to be silent and prude and demure and I, I would say even comforting to a man is very different than how we relate to Black femmes. Black mm -hmm. femmes are called angry, loud, promiscuous, even breadwinners, right? Single parent homes. So how is it that there is this relationship to Black films, but then the relationship to white women is much different? So talking about where that comes from, which no surprise here to transatlantic slave trade, colonization, um, and then how that impacts people today. How does that history impact that continues? The fact that Black pregnant people have some of the highest maternity uh, mortality rates in this country is a direct relationship to the institution of the gender binary and then how Black people have been regarded inside of it. This idea that we don't feel pain or that we don't show emotion other than angry and even if we do, that is not to be believed. So then what that does is have medical institutions, they believe this notion that we don't feel pain. So mm -hmm. then they don't actually serve us. They don't actually take care of us. And it causes us to, to die um, when we're supposed to be bringing life. So that all of that, I just try to connect to the past so folks can see the gendered relationship of Black people and also how Black people relate to their own gender, right? There's a really great article that I always reference called My Gender is Black in that a lot of people you know, even identify as feminists will say, my, the thing that you see first is that I'm Black and that I have to actually fight for you to see that I have a gender, right? Because you are just marking me as Black and you are treating me accordingly, but you're not seeing all my other identities. So also exploring what does that look like as a Black person in the world? What does your gender, what is your gender? Who do you get to be? How can we return to this decolonized state of gender? What is, what are your uh, indigenous practices that you want to uh, unveil or recover from mm -hmm. colonization in terms of gender? So yeah, that is like a long-winded version of what yeah. I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I love, and you know, I do this. I'm like, I, I know what, I know what they're going to say, but I'm going to ask anyway, just because y'all yeah. don't know, the <laughs> listeners don't know. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I still, I think again, because much like race, I feel like gender was always just kind of a lived experience. It's something that you do. It's not necessarily something I think about, like, it's just, it just is. And so um, definitely getting to know you, both you and Eb, I, this, hey, Ebony. <laughs> um, I just feel so grateful because I, I have so many moments where I'm just like, yo, this thing that I experienced when I was like 10, this is related because of this and this and this and this, because it, 
you know, where else do we have these conversations? Where else, like you said, pe are people talking about gender outside of the white uh, construct and outside of white supremacy? Yeah. So I'm just always really, really blown away. And I appreciate the ways that you challenge everybody, but especially myself to think about my own gender experiences and think about who, who I want to be. Because I've always considered myself very ambiguous when it comes to gender. And I think as I've gotten older, I've allowed myself to lean more into my femininity because I recognize a lot of those historical experiences were related to capitalism as well. It's like, well, you don't have time to be feminine. Nobody cares about feminine. You have to go out and produce and be masculine. And it's like, uh, yeah. you know, I want to, I want to be soft. Can I be soft? I want to be soft. Yeah. <laughs> in that intersection as a darker skinned person, dark yes. skinned person, you know, that, that immediate masculinization that happens, you know? Yeah. How does that happen to a darker skinned femme, but then doesn't happen to a light skinned femme, Absolutely. Right? So, you know, having conversations about that too, it's just so, yes. so enlightening. And again, for my own healing, because I never understood that as a kid. Like I never yeah. got why I don't get to be soft, mm -hmm. you know, like, why don't I get to- Why can't I cry? Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about all of the great things that you do, right? So you have a podcast, which um, yeah. I had the, finally had the joy to be on, <laughs> on of uh, head rep, hood rat to head rat, right? Or head yeah. rat to hood rat? Hood rat to head rat. Hood rat to head rat. Um, yeah. I just know it's H to H. <laughs> and it's beautiful, uh, the podcast that you do with your partner, Ebony. Um, I would love to hear you talk more about that, but also talk a little bit about some of the workshops that you do and some of the, the offerings that you have for people who are interested in learning more and doing the work of studying, especially now that we're all in quarantine. Yeah. So yeah, Ebony and I have a, um, a hood rat. <laughs> have well, there's baguette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a podcast called Hood Rat to Head Rat. That is not a destination. Um, Ebony is a self-proclaimed hood rat and I wear a lot of head wraps. So that's where the name came from. Um, and the subtitle is a decolonized podcast. So we talk about the world, things that are happening in the world, things that are interest us, um, but in the center of it all is is Black people um, and our liberation. And then obviously it's just us shooting the shit. So um, mm -hmm. if you want to come and listen to that, you can. And yes, Tracy will have an episode coming out very soon here. <laughs> um, very, very excited to have her. And I guess in terms of offerings, I, oh man, this is such a weird world, huh? I have um, webinars online. I have a gender webinar and my partner and I did a racial and social justice webinar together. Um, it's like 101 and 202 on Podia. Um, so I'll send all those links to Tracy, but yeah, those yeah, are some they'll be there. Well, yeah. I just want to run down the list. Cause you know, I, I do my research, even on my friend. Oh, Lord. And so no, no, no. I mean, I'm like, oh, there's all these other options, right? So there's intersectionality, um, yes. creating safer spaces, LGBTQIA and cultural literacy, yes. 101, body positivity, body image activism, white supremacy by any other name, the anti-black origins of sexual violence in the U.S. Boom, yeah. boom, right? Yeah. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> um, decolonizing health, right? We, we didn't even really get into that work that you do, right? Yeah. But I would like just that. Can you talk a little bit about what that even is about for the folks who might be listening? 
Yeah, um, as a breast cancer survivor, I realized that a lot of, you know, U.S. focused medicine is not here for us. And when I say us, I mean Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not here to have us survive, per se. And I'm this is not to go into a rant about using alternative medicine. It's just the realization of how racist medicine is and then to also the, the force to advocate for yourself. I don't mm-hmm. think people kind of say advocate for yourself and you have to advocate for yourself. And that isn't necessarily a good thing if you just want to be taken care of, right? right? And if you don't have the privilege or the access to do all of that, then what happens to the person that can't advocate for right. themselves? Right. Uh, so it's talking about that and working with healthcare practitioners to actually not put people in the position to advocate for themselves, but actually to care for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we yeah. do. What popped in my head, I know you said you didn't want to get into this, but one of the things I think about very often is how alternative medicines are kind of poo-pooed. But then when you look at some of the medical options, more often than not, they pull from those natural derivatives to make their products. And so it's like, why can't I just use the actual thing? Why are we not teaching people to have the comfort to be able to use what's actually in front of them versus co-opting it and saying, well, I know better. You need to make it, you know, you need to use it in this way. So. Yeah, I had um, just like a medical thing come up for me this year that I've been dealing with. And I went to the doctor and they were like, what have you been doing to kind of ease it? And I said, I went to acupuncture, I go to acupuncture regularly to deal with it. And then when they were talking to another doctor explaining what I've done, they were like, they've done some things, you know, like they've done acupuncture, but like they haven't really done anything. And I was like, that is something. That's what? something. That's Why do you disregard Chinese right. medicine like that? Like, that's weird. Like, right. Don't do that. Like, I literally had to say that. I'm like, yeah. don't and disregard what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to definitely, this will not, hopefully not be the end of you being on the show. And yes. I'm like, we could do a whole other one just on that. Right? We, can. we really on can. The ways that Black folks, period, but especially Black femmes are ignored in what they do to care for themselves and how they advocate for themselves and, and, and just by the medical establishment. Like I, yeah. I think I realized in me to quote our mutual homie, Lachey Harvey, like I'm just feeling an allergic reaction. Yeah, <laughs> not an allergic reaction. Just I from can. personal experiences. Yes. Oh, right. So we'll get yes. into that at some point. Um, but bec- we're getting ready to wrap up uh, now, but I want to just ask you to one, just share a little bit of advice for the person who's listening, who may be, you know, they're just new to really understanding sexuality outside of just what you do with what's between your legs. And they really want to learn more. And they're just really wanting to embrace this opportunity to like learn, right. Versus just prevent any, any advice you'd have for them. And then if you want to wrap it up with thinking about your place as a black sexuality educator in this moment in time, and kind of thinking about how you want to be seen um, in this moment in time. Wow. Um, I would say if you are new to, you know, exploring sex and sexuality beyond what's between your legs is to, you know, think about how you are treated on a regular basis, like how your body in space, um, in the world is regarded. Like what, what is that experience? What have you told yourself about that experience? What have other people tried to convince you about that experience? And how can you be 
honest um, and real about what you experience on a regular basis. That is, I would say, one of the biggest steps to take is being honest about how folks regard your body. And that's not just when you're naked. That's when you're walking down the street. That's when you're in the store. That's when you're on the Zoom call. Like, whatever it is, like, how... How does the government regard it? How do you know your family members regard it? Uh, how do you, the partners that you have or don't have, your friends, what does that look like? And I think looking beyond the naked you, the, the sensual you, looking beyond just regular degular walking around, what is that relationship? And what has been the relationship in the past as well? I think there's a lot of healing work to do. And uh, that healing work begins with actually being honest and telling the truth about your experiences. And then the legacy, I guess, I don't, you know, honestly, Tracy, I've been struggling with this. Like I've been struggling mm-hmm. with what my place is. And this, and this, it might be a little bit of imposter syndrome, but it also may be just like, I'm over myself. Like I just, and I think that that's mm-hmm. a good place to be where that is the legacy that I want to live. Like, I just want people to get this information and to have it um, and to have a difference be made with them. I don't care if you remember my name or who I am necessarily. I just want you to know that, you know, the gender binary is a tool of white supremacy. I want you to know, at be asking the question, who is this for? I want black people to be free um, in whatever way that looks like for you that does not harm other people, right? Mm-hmm. I want people to stop being harmed, you know, like, and, and that's, that's like the extent of what I want my work to do. Like, I mean, that's not just the extent, but that is a big part of what I want my work to do. And that doesn't include me. You know, like I wanted to live, go beyond me. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, that's, I just been, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think it's also just combined with I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, come on. Yeah. Come on. Cause it's been a long yeah, time. I'm tired. Yeah. Look, 2020 been 84 years by it's itself. It's been 84 years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I get it. But I, I just went really quick. I felt compelled to to invite the both and to say that it it is about it's bigger than you and it is still inclusive of you. Like I you. when they tell the stories of, of black sexuality and black sex education 15, 20 years down the road, if your name is not included, I'm coming back. Yeah. I'm coming back to check somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Word. I hear that. Word. Word. For real, for real. Yeah. Um, so real quick, I lied. I forgot that I have my rapid fire questions that I want to do. Oh, and that will wrap us up. So they're just sentence stems. Answer them as you feel your gut is telling you. Okay. Okay. So the first one, sexiness is. God, sexiness is black. Come on. The sexiest thing about Blackness and or Black people is? Everything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> My go-to for feeling sexy is? Oh, Lord. Probably. My go-to for feeling sexy is probably like a long, hot bath in like soaked in some sort of wonderful magnesium chloride situation and bubbles and watching housewives and candles lit. That's my (laughs) go-to. Love it. And housewives. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yes. Sexual freedom for black folk is achieved when we get reparations from the state. 
Come on. Look. Look. Right? Last but not least, when I'm done being on this podcast, I will. Go to Target. Come on. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. What a place. What a place. Thank you so much for your time, Erica. I love you so you. much. I love you so I much. I'm just so grateful. So and um, definitely uh, the invitation. I- I'll be coming to you, but whenever you feel you want to come here, please let me know. I would love to I have will. you. I will. I will. This was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and I. To keep up with all things TSOB, Follow us on social media at TSOB The Podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to tsobpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.